Let's read from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in, these, in this chapter for, for another couple of weeks after this, but today we start reading in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. We're just going to pause reading there today. So here's the reality. We're in a struggle Maybe your Bible version said battle. Maybe it said fight. It's all the same thing. It's saying that life is not always easy. It, can, it has many challenges. And you don't need me to tell you that kind of in this kind of COVID world we live in. We recognize those things. We know that physical and mental health is a battle right now. We know that marriage and relationships is a battle right now. We know that employment is a battle. Working from home is a battle. We know that church life is a battle. And the fact that you're still tuning in and watching this, I know this this is hard. I know how hard this is, but it's a battle that we're in. And we do well to navigate this battle knowing, this life knowing that it is a a fight, a struggle, a battle, because um, that sets us up to actually see success and to win. I was, um, uh, I, I came across a, uh, an interview with a, a, a veteran of the Vietnam War and he'd been in prison for seven years and over that time he'd been tortured and abused along with many others but amazingly he made it out and a lot of his colleagues didn't and he became a vice presidential candidate in the USA and somebody asked him they said his name was James Stockdale and somebody interviewed him and they said so you know, tell us about it. And he said, I had to keep this thing alive of, of hope, yet disappointment, knowing it might not be yet, it might be in the future. But he, he said it, it was a tense time. And he developed this thing called the Stockdale Paradox of how you keep going in difficult times with a reality of hope, but also reality. And somebody asked him, they said, tell us about the people who didn't make it out. And without blinking, he, he, he just said, oh, that was easy. They were the optimists. And... The questioner said, really? He says, yeah, because they said, oh, another week and we'll be out. Or by Christmas, we'll definitely be out. And then Christmas would come and go. And they'd say, well, definitely by Easter. And then Easter would come and go. And then, and then Christmas would come and go again. And he says, eventually, they just died of a broken heart. See, if we're going to fight the fight of faith, we need to know that there's going to be highs and lows. There's going to be moments that feel easy and moments that feel difficult. What I've noticed right now, especially in in the light of recent, uh, a second wave of the pandemic is, I feel like there's a lot of people who are just beginning to feel like I just want to hibernate. I just want somebody to wake me up when this whole pandemic is over. Please don't do that. Don't do that because when we hibernate, we're not fighting. And we must, must fight over these coming months. So, Here's what I want to say to you. It's a fight that you're in. Every Christian is in the fight of faith. But it's a fight that with God's help, 
you will win. But first and most important point is this, it's a fight that's already been won. How about that for a starter? The fight that you're in is a fight that's already been won by Jesus. Read this from Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Talking about Jesus at the cross, it says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities that we read about in Ephesians, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow. Victory achieved 2,000 years ago, not by you, but by Jesus. Amazing. Look back to the cross. Look here and now. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. He asks the question, who is it that overcomes the world? The answer, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is how we fight. We fight by believing. I don't know if you noticed when we read Ephesians that the word advance didn't appear. The word forward didn't appear. The word success didn't appear. What you did read three times was the word stand. See, if the victory of Jesus is already over you and at work in your life, you don't need to try to win. All you have to do is stand. All you have to do is stand firm. And the Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. God's victory, God's advance in your life comes about because of his victory And we just have to stand and believe. Perhaps today you're not a Christian. Perhaps this is all new to you. And here, it's as simple as this. It's putting your trust in the Son of God and what he's done for you and to stand in that. But we also look forward. We look back, we look now, but we look forward. This is what it says at the end of the Bible in Revelation. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the church says to the church, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. This is going to be you. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. The thing that they were banished from in the Garden of Eden, they're now, we're being told, we get to eat of it one day. Future victory. It's going to be sweet. And it says, whoever has ears. Do you know, God wants to speak his victory narrative over your life today. He wants to speak about it. He wants to say that the battle that you're in is a battle that has already been won. It's past, present, and future, but you live in this reality that he's done everything necessary for you to fight the struggle you're in right now. So I want to talk about Satan, his strategies, and countermeasures. I was going to put up a picture of a Roman soldier, but I was talking to Nathaniel Smith, our student <laughs> pastor, and, uh, and, he, and he, I just said, I'm t- talking about Ephesians 6, and he, he, says, he says, oh, he says, not another tired message about a Roman soldier's uniform. <laughs> So I thought we're going to go for nuclear submarines today instead with, with countermeasures. But, okay, but let's talk about Satan first. So in these verses, we read about these, these beings that we, we don't know about. We're being introduced to them here. He says, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, you can find whole books written about what each of those are. It's very hard biblically to find out what any of them are. Uh, But what he seems to be saying is Satan and his allies. And uh, Satan, the the name simply means adversary. He's one who opposes God. And he appears throughout the Bible. And we don't know his origins particularly. 
Uh, in Isaiah 14, there might be some allusions to, to where Satan originated from, perhaps a, a, a created being fallen from heaven. But what we do know this is this, that he's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-present, he's not like God, he's not the equivalent darkness to the light, he's not the yin and the yang, he's a, he's a foe of God. But God is stronger, and God is powerful, God's all-powerful. And in this fight, God is the one who is always victorious. Now, C.S. Lewis, he said this, because we're not used to talking about the devil and demons in our culture, are we? And uh, in his introduction to a novel he wrote called The Screwtape Letters, he said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors, and they hail the materialist or a magician with the same delight. So let's beware of going either way with that. I want to suggest today that in our culture in Edinburgh in 2020, we probably need to be a little bit more aware of what he's doing because we have a tendency to everything that's material and and natural in front of us. So... Satan, he's the adversary. He opposes God. He opposes the work of God. He opposes the kingdom of God. He opposes the people of God. If you're a follower of Jesus today, in so much as you follow Jesus and want to do his work, he will oppose you. But God is more powerful in protecting you. So you find that he opposed Jesus in Luke 4 in the wilderness, and Jesus defeated him. He beat him by standing against him. So that's, that's Satan and his allies. What does he do? Well, we read in these verses that he's a strategist. Okay? So in verse 11, Paul says, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So what he's saying is this, that Satan has schemes. He has strategies. He has ways of doing things. Uh, when, when Jesus was... Um, in the wilderness, and, and he stood against Satan. It says at the end, and then Satan left him till an opportune time. So he's got ways of doing things. He doesn't just attack us all of the time. He, he waits until he thinks he can get a victory or get a discouragement in. And it says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it says, we're not unaware of his schemes. So I wonder if you're aware of them. I wonder if you're aware of the sorts of things that he likes to do. I'll just give you a few, and then we're going to talk about two particularly based on these two first pieces of armor. So here's, here's some of the other things he does. He hinders discipleship. So it says that in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17. He stops people learning about God. He stops people responding in discipleship. If you've ever had that experience, if you're not baptized or, or you're thinking about that, and then you, you hear a message about baptism, you think, that's it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to get baptized. And do you know what happens? Satan just starts whispering in your ear. He says, well, yeah, but why don't you wait a bit? Why didn't, why didn't we just slow this down? Maybe you're not mature enough. He's hindering. He's hindering. He's to be resisted. Um, he, he, here's another thing he does. He blinds the eyes of people to the beauty of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4. Here's another thing he does. He tempts us to sin and to half-heartedness. It says that in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. You can look at that sometime. Here's another thing he does. He stokes division in the church. It says that in 2 Corinthians 2, 
verse 11, and therefore we must be on our guard relationally. But here's a couple of strategies today I want to talk about, based on these first two bits of armor. And that is this, that he likes to deceive and lie, that's one. And he likes to condemn us and accuse us. And what we're going to find is that these countermeasures that God has given us are more than enough for these two things. So what do I mean by that? Well, he's, he's, he's the liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus said about him. He says when, when he speaks, when the devil speaks, he speaks his native language. And no big surprises here. If, if Satan wants to work in your life, he doesn't usually knock on the door and book an appointment and turn up with his pitchfork and his horns and say, hey, I've got a few lies for you today. Are you interested? Because that would be too easy, wouldn't it? We'd think, I know who you are. And of course I don't want to believe any lies today because they're lies. He doesn't do that. He presents lies as truth. He masquerades as an angel of light, it says in Scripture. So therefore, we need to just be savvy and know when we're being lied to. He said it in the Garden of Eden. The very first, the very first sin of Eve and Adam was that they believed a lie. He basically told them that God wasn't good. He told them that God was holding the best stuff for himself and not giving them what they deserved and what they needed. You know, there's an attack in our, our day on the goodness of God, on the grace of God. We're being told all the time, we're being preached at all the time, we're being, and, and, and we, we, can, we can find ourselves with an image of God that is somehow just confused and cluttered. If you're not wowed at the very person of who God is, I want to suggest that you're being exposed to some of these lies and you're letting him chip away. I, I, I was listening to Terry Virgo uh, say something to a group of leaders last week and I was, just, I was feeling a bit, just a bit, um, a bit down just about the whole pandemic and and he just started talking. He talked about five things that leaders need to hear. And point one, he says, he says, I just need to remind you all that God's sovereign over everything. He said, this pandemic won't last a moment longer than he wants it to. He's fully in charge. And I don't know what it was, because I've kind of heard that God's sovereign before. <laughs> but it just lifted something off me because he spoke truth. He spoke truth. And it lifts us. It lifts burdens off us when we hear the truth. Now, just to to say something else about these um, bits of armor before we uh, come on to them. Um, I don't know if you noticed, truth, righteousness, salvation, peace, spirit, word of God. Don't think of this as a technique. Think of it as a person. It says in Romans 13, 14, it says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul's telling you to do here. He's not telling you to to do something special with bits of armor or perhaps even the way you pray. He's talking to you about putting Jesus on and being hidden in Christ and being clothed with him, to being clothed with a person. Some of you young parents, you'll spend your whole winter telling your kids when they want to go outside in the garden to play to put some warm clothes on. Today, I want to encourage you, whoever you are, to clothe yourself with Jesus because he's more than enough for this battle. So, um, the devil's a liar. Truth is the effective resistance against the lies. So, the countermeasures. Um, 
we're not going for a Roman soldier. So let's go for a nuclear submarine. And you know Hunt for Red October. Why do you, what's your favorite submarine film? Um, why don't you just, if you're on the YouTube chat, you could put it in the chat right now. <laughs> what is your favorite war film? And, but here's what they do. The torpedo is heading for the boat. Everybody, the lights are flashing red. And then what does the captain do? He says, launch countermeasures. And these little things go spinning out into the water and the t- torpedo, rather than hitting the boat head on, it hits these countermeasures and gets deflected. Here's the reality. You in your human strength cannot deal with the ferocity of the attack of the enemy. But with these countermeasures, being clothed in Christ, it's more than you, it's Christ in you. It's Christ over you who defeats him. So he says, put on the belt of truth. So countermeasure one is truth, truth, truth that defeats the lies. There's an old Keith Green said, he says, I was lied to, but you told the truth to me. Truth is the thing that sets us free, says Jesus. If you want to be set free, then listen to what God is. Now, the lies that come at you are lies about God, lies about yourself, and lies about other people. And you need to be aware of those things. When you hear that God isn't good, you're being lied to. I read a, I'm reading, I've just finished a really great book. Um, It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's by Dane Ortmund. He takes a phrase that Jesus said about himself, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And going both ways in the Bible, he then writes an entire book about the character of God and who he is and that he's full of love and grace for his people. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I've just spent, I'm reading again for the second time, which is an unheard of thing for me. Because it's filling me with the truth of who God is, which I so need. It's a good book if you uh, want to get it on audio book or on, uh, on, on uh, paper, the old style, you know. Um, fill yourself with the truth about God and the truth about you. He'll make stuff up about you and he'll tell you stuff about you that isn't true. And... He'll tell you that you're not going to make it. He'll tell you that your faith isn't strong enough. He'll, he'll tell you that you're not mature enough. The truth says this. Jesus said, nothing can snatch you out of my hands. You're protected by him today. That's the truth. That's the truth. It's not about finding your truth. It's about believing the truth that Jesus says to you. He'll, he'll lie to you about other people. He'll lie to you about me. He'll, he'll, he'll probably, you know, you'll probably know plenty of things about me that are, are, are rotten or whatever, but he'll, he'll make things up about me and about other Christians and other people in your church community and your small group. And you'll find yourself thinking things that are unsubstantiated, but he's just sowing stuff, particularly in this season. Friends, I want to encourage you, when distance is so prevalent, when we can't really talk to each other as easily, when we can't just have quick conversations, be aware of this strategy and speak the truth over it. As Christians, we speak truth to one another in love. If, if you're feeling disconnected from somebody, ring them up. Don't, wait for, don't say, nobody rang me, and therefore they don't love me. Why don't you get in touch with them? 
because truth must be battled for. Put on the belt of truth. Don't believe the fake news that he spreads. But then here's the second uh, countermeasure that, that we must launch. It's righteousness. Righteousness as a gift. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. It covered the heart. It covered the vital organs. Um, and here's something the Bible says about you if you're a Christian. It says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Yet, we know this about Satan. In, Ro- in Revelation chapter 12, he's depicted as accusing the brothers and sisters day and night, relentlessly, telling them, condemning them, telling them they're not worthy, telling them they're not good enough. I loved what Carrie said at the very start of this morning. And that's what he does day and night. Now, just to say something about our culture that we live in, we're obsessed with positivity in our culture these days, particularly if you're young, if you're sort of in your teens and 20s. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I want to be a really positive person. I love positive people. I want to fill my life with positivity. And, you know, that's just the charade. It's just a mask because when we actually look inside ourselves, we find plenty there that isn't very positive and things that we wouldn't want other people to know about us and thoughts that we think and attitudes that we have that we get a bit embarrassed about. The mantra that we need isn't for somebody to tell us to be a bit more positive and to hide those things even deeper. We need a gift from God called righteousness. We need a a God who knows us inside out and knows all of the terrible stuff that we can think sometimes. And he finds a way of loving us in the midst of that. And he gives us a gift called righteousness to fight this battle. You might find yourself having self-loathing instincts. Today, the armor is this, the countermeasure is this. Know this, that Jesus is your righteousness. When Satan comes to accuse you of whatever that thought is or that behavior is or that action is, here's what the truth of Scripture means. It means this, he might as well be accusing Jesus face to face. And you say, well, that would be nonsense to accuse Jesus because he's good, he's perfect. But you're in Christ. There's no accusation that can be made against you because you're clothed in the righteousness of God. It seems like a good weekend to talk about football, don't you think? I think so. It was a great match last night, Hibs versus Hearts. It was a, it was a great result, but uh, I'm not going to talk about Hibs and Hearts. I want to talk about um, PSG. Let, let, let's just suppose you're a big football fan. I think there are some in Kings, right? Let's just suppose that you're watching PSG, one of the best teams in the world, playing football. And let's imagine that you're sitting in the crowd, and on the... You're, you're there on the front row and, and, and you see your great hero, Mbappe. And he's there. And, and the match is about to begin. And Mbappe, he, he just looks at you quizzically and he waves. And he smiles and he says, come here. <laughs> and you're like, me? And he invites you onto the pitch and you go past the security officials. And uh, he says, I'd like you to play today. And you're like... I, but I, I'm not a world-class footballer. And he says, I know, but I'm going to give you my shirt. And he takes off his number seven, and he puts it over you. And he says, it starts with this. And 
you're like, well, this is great, but I, I don't have any football skills like you. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to give those to you as well. Let's imagine he transfers all his amazing footballing, goal-scoring ability to you in that moment. And then he goes off the pitch and, and you play a match and you, and you score and you win. Friends, when Jesus clothes you with his righteousness, it's called the great divine exchange. He takes away all of your sin And he gives you all of his righteousness as a gift so that you can be part of the family of God. You can be the brother or sister of Jesus himself. And you can have right standing with God. So the first prayer you pray in the morning isn't sorry, God, as Terry taught us last week. But it's this, it's to say, Father, you love me because of Jesus. Just one final story before we finish. So receive righteousness as a gift. Know the truth that sets you free. These things are the countermeasures we must employ in this fight of faith. But I was just reading this story about a Japanese soldier from World War II, and he was working in the Philippines, and he never got the memo to say that the war was over, that the Japanese had surrendered. So he lived in the forests of Japan with a couple of colleagues for 30 years. And people tried to get communications to him. He was the only one left after a while. The others died because they did guerrilla warfare and they got shot and things like that because they thought there was still a war going on. And people tried to drop messages, airdrop things, memos from family members, photographs saying, please come in, it's over, it's over, it's time to come home. And they studied them carefully and they said, no, I think this is a trick. And finally, somebody went into those woods and they befriended him. And after four days, they said, what would it take for you to come home? And he said, I need my commanding officer to come here and tell me it's over and to discharge me properly. So this guy, he went to the Japanese government. He found his old commanding officer who was now selling books. And he said, you've got to go and and tell this guy the war's over. So he goes into the forests and he sits down and he formally discharges his, his thing. And the guy throws down his weapons and he came home after 30 years of the war having ended. Today, I, I just feel Jesus, our commanding officer, your commanding officer. He wants to speak to you and tell you that the war is won. He wants to tell you that the struggle that you now face is not forever, but it is important. And today, he wants to invite you into the safety of his home. 